Freedom is often defined as the ability to do whatever you want. No one dictating what you can or can't do, or telling you how to think or live. But our freedom always exists in relation to other people. One person's freedom to have a loud conversation in a library takes away another person's freedom to quietly read. The notion of freedom and how to ensure it for all has occupied the minds of many modern thinkers. In his 1820 text, Elements of the Philosophy of Right, German philosopher Georg Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel explored the nature of individual freedom and how society and the government can guarantee it for all citizens. So the, the book is called A Philosophy of Right. What does that mean? I mean, what does right means here? Yeah. My name is Axel Honneth. I'm currently a professor in the philosophy department at Columbia University. Hegel's concept of right can be interpreted as the right to exist. The notion right is very confusing how he's using it. Yeah, You would expect a book on law, but instead Hegel is he's doing something completely different. For his forerunners, it was clear. Namely, when we speak of right, we speak of the laws that are meant to determine a just political order. And a just political order meant an order that allows everyone to enjoy individual freedom. For Hegel, the notion right has a much broader meaning. It means he wants to demonstrate or he wants to lay out all those institutions that have a right to exist in the present because they guarantee different forms of individual freedom to become realized. Welcome to Writ Large, a podcast about how books change the world. I'm Zachary Davis. In each episode, I talk with one of the world's leading scholars about one book that changed the course of history. For this episode, I sat down with Professor Axel Honneth to discuss Hegel's elements of the philosophy of right. Georg Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel was born in 1770 in a city in southwest Germany called Stuttgart. He was well-educated from the start. He began his schooling at age three and started learning Latin at age five. When he was 18, he began attending a Christian university. The Tübinger Stift in the small university city of Tübingen, where he studied together with Schelling and the famous uh, poet uh, Friedrich Hölderlin. Hegel, Schelling, and Holderlin started out as roommates at school and quickly became close friends. Like so many students of their generation, they were all interested in the Enlightenment philosophers, especially Immanuel Kant. There was nobody who was not heavily influenced by Kant. Everyone had his so-called Kant experience, and clearly Hegel belonged to that generation. And therefore, he started very early on a lifelong struggle with Kant. In fact, Hegel and Schelling would later go on to help establish the German idealist movement. This philosophical movement developed out of Kant's work bridging rationalism and empiricism. Kant's work provided a solid foundation for Hegel to build his own philosophy on. Could you paint us um, the context in which Hegel emerges as a thinker? What was happening in Germany? What was happening in Europe? The most prominent event was, uh, without question, the French Revolution. I can guess that the whole atmosphere in the small universities, uh, universities or university cities were full with permanent discussions 
about how to think about the French Revolution. During the French Revolution, the middle and lower classes rose up against the aristocracy and overthrew the French monarchy. The revolution was successful, but it left France in a state of chaos. Now that the old system of government was out, the revolutionaries had to figure out how to move forward. Hegel was uh, heavily in favor of the French Revolution and defended, even when being aware of some of the negative aspects of the revolution, he defended the results of uh, the revolution uh, his whole life. Hegel believed that despite the bloodshed, the revolution was an important step towards creating a more equal society. In the middle of the revolution, Hegel graduated from the Tübinger Stift. He became a private tutor to an aristocratic family in Bern, Switzerland, and then another in Frankfurt, Germany. This role allowed him plenty of free time to continue studying. He read philosophical works by Kant, Fichte, Plato, Aristotle, and Spinoza. He also began compiling his ideas in manuscripts such as Life of Jesus and The Positivity of the Christian Religion. In 1801, Hegel's old roommate Schelling got him a lecturer position at the University of Jena in Germany. There, Hegel gave lectures on logic and metaphysics, but he was especially interested in the meaning of Christianity in post-Enlightenment Europe. During the Enlightenment, science and reason dethroned Christianity as the most authoritative source of truth. But Hegel saw God and what he called Geist, or a cosmic spirit or mind, as important elements in humanity's progression towards realizing a more equal and just society. In his very early writings, his first attempts before becoming the great Hegel, he wrote many, many manuscripts um, trying to demonstrate how the spirit, uh, which he sees as the moving subject and substance of all reality, is working through reality by certain medias like work or struggle. This idea became the central theme of Hegel's philosophical system. He began laying it out in a book called The Phenomenology of Spirit, which he wrote in 1807 while he was still teaching at Jena. A few years after publishing The Phenomenology of Spirit, Hegel was offered a position at the University of Heidelberg. Then he became the professor in Berlin and uh, continued these lectures regularly and decided to publish them as a form of reading books, reading book, which means he only wanted to publish the paragraphs that he read in class. But the actual publication is a compilation between his very thin, dry paragraphs and notes, annotations, observations that were taken by his students when transcribing the lectures. And it is interesting to see that these annotations and notes are very often much easier to understand than the raw text by Hegel. Hegel's own writings are notoriously difficult to understand because he developed some of his own terms and wrote with his own philosophical language. These lectures eventually became his text Encyclopedia of the Philosophical Sciences, which expanded on the ideas of the phenomenology of the spirit and laid out his complete philosophical system. Hegel then turned his attention to the present. He wanted to apply his historical evolutionary lens to see how his own time was contributing to the evolution and maturation of spirit. 
This is the subject of The Philosophy of Right, published in 1820. Hegel intended this work to be a textbook, a teaching aid for students who attended his lectures. But he didn't want to alienate the common reader. So he wrote from two perspectives. He wants, on the one side, uh, to give a systemic account. And with systemic account, I mean an account in the terms of his own philosophical language. That is extremely difficult to understand for somebody not familiar with that whole system. Yeah. So he speaks the language of the system, but at the same time, he also addresses those readers that are not familiar with his system and takes a more external perspective, speaking much closer and much uh, more to the, the, the common mind of the people. Hegel wants in this book to give a presentation of the existing political order as a already rational social order. If you want so, that's the core of the book. Hegel wants to show the ways in which society already allows individuals to fully realize their freedom. He wanted to demonstrate that people should be able to see that the existing social order deserves to be accepted and wholeheartedly accepted because it fulfills the demands of their rational uh, desires and interests. To say that means for Hegel to demonstrate that the modern social order is able to satisfy our desire for individual freedom. So in that sense, he shares with all of the modern political theorists the idea that a political order can only be justified or can only be called rational in, to that degree to which it is able to guarantee to each of its members individual freedom. In other words, Hegel, like Thomas Hobbes and Jean-Jacques Rousseau, believe that a government can only be justified if it can guarantee individual freedom to its citizens. But in Philosophy of Right, Hegel argued that protecting basic rights wasn't enough. Governments needed to support a more robust conception of individual freedom. The, the, the task is to convince the readers that in difference to the tradition of modern political philosophy, there are more than one notions of individual freedom that we should take into consideration. So that individual freedom has different sides, different senses, different meanings. And only when we have become aware of the different meanings of individual freedom can we point out in what sense the modern social political order satisfies our justified need for individual freedom. Then it has to be shown that all the different aspects of individual freedom have to be guaranteed by the political order of modern societies. Hegel believed that a justified social and political order was one that guaranteed all forms of individual freedom for its citizens, which he claimed can be categorized in three ways. 
The first type of freedom is legal freedom or negative freedom. Hegel would say normally modern political thinkers start with the concept of negative freedom. They all think of individual freedom as a specific space uh, into which to intervene. Nobody has a right, with the exception that my own space of freedom has to be in congruence or in uh, in in harmony with the individual space of freedom of all others. So my freedom is negatively determined, namely by the absence of legitimate interference. So this, and this is basically, uh, don't mess with me and I won't mess with you. Um, it's kind of libertarian. Get off my lawn. <laughs> like, don't bother me. <laughs> yeah, as long as we, we all respect our individual spaces of freedom, uh, we can then establish a political order that guarantees these individual spaces of negatively defined freedom. Negative freedom is the freedom to do whatever you want, as long as it doesn't harm others. Then you have another intuition of uh, freedom, another concept of freedom, which is characterized by our ability to self-determination. The second type of freedom is positive freedom, or as Hegel calls it, morality. We are only free to the degree to which we are able to determine ourselves by reference to some moral concepts. This concept of positive freedom or moral freedom is often attributed to Kant, but it was first developed by Rousseau. If negative freedom is freedom to act on your desires, then positive freedom takes it one step further and asks, where do your desires come from? How can you be sure they are actually your true desires and not desires placed on you by your society or community? The question then becomes, are you ever actually free? Rousseau and Kant believed that individual freedom is not simply acting on your selfish desires, but aligning your desires with the best interests of the community. And Hegel described that as moral freedom. It's another very legitimate form of freedom. So that one might say, a modern political order has at least to satisfy and to guarantee these two forms of freedom. Yeah, everyone should be able to enjoy legal freedom and moral freedom. Everyone should have the right to have a space of him or herself. Uh, and everyone should have the right to determine one's own action by reference to moral norms that he or she takes as being justified or valid. The political philosophers before Hegel believed a government was justified only when it guaranteed these two types of freedom to its citizens. But for Hegel, these two types of freedom weren't enough. Hegel was unsatisfied with both concepts because he thought in both concepts of freedom, uh, the other, or the, 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 the world, is still seen as something constraining us. So he thinks that these two concepts of freedom, legal freedom and moral freedom, only have the power of circumscribing potentialities of freedom, but not real freedom. It's not what we really enjoy as freedom. 
to truly speak of freedom, of true freedom, means to be able to see the other as part of myself. How is that possible? How can I conceive of the other not as somebody or something constraining me, but as something helping me to realize myself? This is only by communication, only in, that's the famous word, by recognizing each other as equally free. Only when we act uh, in, in a communicative way, recognizing each other as truly, not only as rational beings, but sharing the same concept of a good, are we able to realize the highest form of freedom. Hegel believed that we need other people in order to help us fully realize individual freedom. For example, if I want to play soccer, I can't play by myself. I need other people in order to play. So without other people, I'm not really free to play soccer. This is the third type of freedom that Hegel identifies. He calls this ethical life. In the earlier two other accounts, we have only an individualistic understanding of freedom. Yeah. And a an idea of freedom of potentiality. Whereas when it comes to the highest form of freedom, there we have another structure of that freedom. That freedom consists in my interaction with others in, in institutions that allow us to, uh, to mutually realize our intentions and, uh, and inclinations. That's the full concept of freedom. Hegel believed the full scope of individual freedom included these three types of freedom, negative, positive, and ethical life. And that's the huge difference to all his forerunners, that Hegel has to be able to explain and to lay out the institutions in which we are meant to be able to realize ourselves communicatively in which we are able to participate so that we can realize our own volitions and intentions in interacting with others. Hegel's ideas on individual freedom can be traced all the way back to Aristotle. One way of describing the, the book is that it is a reactualization re of Aristotle within the framework of a political theory that is fully concentrated of individual freedom, on individual freedom, which is a viewpoint Aristotle never would have taken. Yeah? Aristotle was not heavily interested in, in guaranteeing individual freedom to all, to the opposite. He thought there is a certain class that can realize communicative freedom within the polis. But there are others that have to do the dirty work, yeah, the slaves, the people in the households, and so on and so on. No, Hegel wants to bring Aristotelian ideas back within a completely modern framework, where individual freedom is the core of everything, of the whole political order. Unlike Aristotle, Hegel believed in a government that supported individual freedom for all of its citizens, not just the upper classes. This is why Hegel supported the French Revolution, because it was a step towards full equality. 
What sets Hegel apart from some of his earlier philosophical peers is that Hegel is not trying to provide instructions for an ideal society. He is focused on what ideal principles are already present in his society and how to build on those existing freedoms. That makes the book much more substantial. It makes it much richer in empirical content and in historical content and is definitely the book of a non-proceduralist, if you want so. He thought that we have to see whether we can reconstruct the already given social order in such a way that it becomes apparent that it allows us to realize our, the different parts of individual freedom in a right way, in the correct way. In the title Philosophy of Right, Hegel uses the word right to refer to the right for institutions to exist. He believes when institutions are geared towards guaranteeing these three different types of individual freedom, these institutions have the right to exist. It's helpful to note that the third type of freedom, ethical life, differs from negative and positive freedom because it transcends the individual. Negative and positive freedom are individualistic forms of freedom, but ethical life requires individuals to fully realize themselves through others, through shared goods like friendship or marriage. Okay, so yeah, phase one, don't kill me and let me live the way I want regardless of the reasons. Uh, phase two is, and let me live the way I want, but I'll give you good reasons, rational reasons for why I'm living this way. And the third reason is, boy, so much negativity. We're brothers and sisters in pursuing um, um, shared goods, um, one of which is simply the good of mutual recognition as human beings, as you know, beautiful creatures in the universe. I think mutual re recognition is not a good in itself. It's not a good. Mutual recognition is the form that interaction takes in which we both, the communicative partners, uh, are sharing a concept of the good, of a good, so that we can accomplish it only together in interaction. So there are goods that have the characteristic to be realizable or attainable only by mutually recognizing each other as communicative partners. Hegel used friendship as an example. He said, look, friendship is, since Aristotle times, a good. But it's a good that we can only attain or accomplish or reach when we, uh, when we both are interacting in a specific way, in a way that I'm not limiting myself. So it's, it's, it's a form of freedom that is not self-limiting, as in the other concept. But it is a concept of freedom that is enriching, because I now see you as somebody that helps me in our interaction to realize that good of friendship. So instead of self-limitation, which is for Hegel the structure of all the other concepts of freedom, you have here self-enrichment, if you want so, an enlarging of the self. 
Hegel expands on this concept of freedom by showing the ways in which individuals can fully realize themselves within society. So he wants to say then, Hegel, that the family and marriage, civil society, and the state, these are all institutions that have to be conceived of as goods of modernity, of goods of modern societies, in which to realize yourself communicatively with others is the, 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 the establishment of true freedom. I guess <laughs> it's sort of, it seems obvious. Yes, of course, we need one another to, to fully flourish. So a church choir, you know, you need other members of the church choir. I can't be free um, to complete my desire to sing a Bach oratorio unless I have other members of the choir and the organist. This is a social good that um, I am unfree if I can't do it in the participation of others. So that is absolute freedom, which is this capacity to live together with other humans, to communicate, <laughs> to communicate and, to, and to pursue shared goods. That it's not just either the individual can choose everything or the state sort of dominates. In fact, it's more organic. Like you, you need the social order in order to realize the freedom that you most deeply seek. Exactly, yeah. I mean, if you think of inner freedom, not only as that legal freedom or that capacity for self-determination, but entailing something like the flourishing of our personalities, then you have to make the step to believe that that flourishing is only possible within a communicative space where we enrich each other by sharing a, a concept of the good. And then he projects that structure into modern societies and tries to identify those social goods that are present in that society. Hegel saw these societal structures present in his social world, structures that allowed people to fully realize their internal freedom. But he was always looking for ways to improve them. It doesn't mean that he is convinced that empirically, within the historical situation he was living, everything is already in order, yeah, to the opposite. I mean, he was, I think till the end, he was a mildly-minded reformist. Others would say he even had certain revolutionary tendencies. He was interested in early socialism at the end of his life. So he was always looking for currents, movements that could bring the rational structure of he had in mind to even a better expression. I'd love to hear when this first came out, what was the reception? I mean, what you have is very soon you have conservative Hegelians that believe this book can be understood as a testimony of the rationality of the Prussian state. Yeah, it, it demonstrates that everything is well-ordered and that there is no need for any further reform. When Hegel was writing, he was living under the Prussian Empire. Prussia was a German kingdom that covered much of Eastern Europe. It was a monarchy. It was in the process of becoming a constitutional monarchy. Uh, but when the Pope a book was published, 1820, 
there was already a kind of counter movement, a counter reform movement. So the 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 early more liberal developments within the Prussian state had just a kind of rollback, and there were certain extremely reactionary tendencies coming up. So uh, the conservative readers understood it as justifying the exact political order as it was at the times, which is very unfair because Hegel is very clear, for example, with regard to the market, that it is in need of a lot of reforms to become a true market where people can competitively realize themselves. Then there were the revolutionaries, the so-called Hegelian left, yeah? the, the many, many people who believed that Hegel had developed a theory that because of its dialectical impulses allowed to think of the revolution, that it was entailing a concept of revolution because of its emphasis on historical development and the, the, the need for permanent historical change. These revolutionaries were also known as the young Hegelians. They ran with Hegel's systematic ideas that history is a gradual progression towards the societal maturation of reason and freedom. So these readers were convinced that Hegel, even when he had a certain conservative tendency and even a tendency to praise the state, was in fact offering a method that allowed the transcending of the actual horizon. Uh, so they read Hegel as, as having developed the right kind of method that could justify a more revolutionary concept of history and society. This view was most popularly championed by the German philosopher Karl Marx. From his interpretation of Hegel, Marx developed his theory of communism. So the Hegelian right used Hegel's ideas to justify the current Prussian state, while the Hegelian left used Hegel's ideas to justify political change. Hegel's influence is most often seen through these two legacies. But there was another group. So there was a third stream of reception that came a little bit later than uh, Marxist reception and the right-wing reception, but that was heavily influential on the development of the British left. This group is known as the British Hegelians. So they read Hegel as saying that the state has to be a kind of social welfare state. It has to enable everyone in a society to live and to flourish, to live individually and to flourish. Uh, such a society is in need of communicative structures, allowing everyone to flourish with others, and so on and so on. The British Hegelians were the forerunners to the Labour Party, also known as the Social Democrats. And so you, you had Hegel, I mean, with the philosophy of right, having influences on very different theoretical movements and streams. Yeah? In the US, he influenced the pragmatist left. In England, he influenced the British Hegelians and the Labour Party. 
in Germany, he was the forerunner of Marx. And in that sense, he influenced the revolutionary left. Yeah. So the, 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 uh, the, the history of that book, the after history of that book is enormous. Even when one has to say people are not very familiar with its content. Yeah. It is sometimes the rumor of the book more than the actual content of the book that influenced the different streams. Hegel has had such a diverse impact on different political movements because he is highly interpretable. In fact, scholars still debate how to read him. Does Hegel believe that the institutions he is rationally describing, it's not an empirical description, it's a rational reconstruction, if you want so, does he believe that those institutions are the best we can get? Or does he believe that because he, he allows it within his framework, that the innovational power of the individual will, in the longer run, also change those institutions to the better, improve their structures, improve their social arrangements such that individual flourishing will even become better than under the given conditions, institutional conditions. So does he allow for institutional revolutions? Yeah, that's the open question right now. I think all the debates on the philosophy of right today are concentrated on that one point. Yeah, is once does Hegel want simply to fix the institutional structure as he is normatively, normatively describing it? Or does he want us to read it as an instruction on the ideas we have to even reform or change those institutions he is describing? Does he allow for the creative power of the individual in changing? I mean, following his advices, changing and improving the institutions such that we can realize our freedom communicatively even better. I mean, I'm on the side of those who believe that Hegel is completely undecided about it. Hegel, I mean, on the one side, he wants, he wants to allow it. On the other side, he has a certain tendency to describe the institutions as so stable and fixed that one can't think of better solutions for realizing the good he wants to have it to, to have in certain institutional spheres. So I think he is very undecided. You know, Hegel is a very uh, intimidating thinker. Um, many people have heard the name. Very few people ha are able to get through his texts. But his ideas are with us. They made the world we live in. And so where where do you see Hegel's ideas today? What are the the rights and, and, and social organizations that um, probably, you know, in some way were influenced by, by his political thought? I think that all social movements that um, have a more demanding idea of freedom than the one that is celebrated by the economic liberals, yeah, by the 
by those which are defending a free market, that all those movements are somewhat inspired by Hegel and his notion of freedom. Taking his concept of the good and the value of human flourishing within, uh, within social institutions that entail certain aspects of the good, I think he would be today also on the side of the ecologists. I mean, he would be convinced that nature is one of the living, nature is not only a living organism, but we as humans are in interaction with that, with that living organism. So it needs a certain, not only respect for that living organism, but we need a certain kind of um, communication with that living organism that nature is. And we are natural beings. He was always deeply convinced of that. Yeah, We are, uh, we are not only rational beings, but we are beings that have the capacity to, to, to develop a second nature, which is his notion. And that indicates already that we are nature, but that we also have the capacity to, to, to form our nature in the right way. Writ Large is produced by Jack Pombriant, Liza French, and me, Zachary Davis. Script editing is by Galen Beebe. We get help from Ferron Du. Our theme song is by Ian Koss, and our branding is by Dan Petchy. We're a member of LitHub Radio. Writ Large is a Lyceum original production. You can find us on our website, writlarge.fm. There you'll find transcripts, links to the books we discussed, and more information about today's guest. Thanks for listening. See you next time.